You know, there's a, there's a beauty in the simplicity of God. There's, there's a beauty. Distance yourselves, but don't distance yourselves too much, because I've got to talk to them, I've got to talk to you. I gotta... <laughs> I'm going to steal Eddie's chair and use it as a hipster coffee table. Um, it matches, at least we got the match. <laughs> you guys can't see, but T.U. is lying down on the floor at this point. He's just... uh, you know, we were saying this morning as a team, there is something about the simplicity of this. You know, Jesse, can we, can we just keep doing this? And I don't mean like keep doing this, like keep everybody outside. But can we keep doing this where actually, like less is more. And I think part of what I've learned this year, part of what I've come to understand this year is that less is more. And I feel like what God is doing is stripping back all of the more. You know, when the Bible says my grace is sufficient for you, that word sufficient means enough. My grace is sufficient for you. And yet what we tend to do is go, awesome, grace and. And what we actually don't realize is there is no grace and because everything is encompassed in grace. Like grace includes everything. You know, the Bible says if if God forsaking his son for you, if God did not withhold, you know, we're talking about withholding. God did not withhold his son from you. Then why would he withhold anything else because if God was to withhold anything else what that means is that he would be to hold it in a higher position than his son because he would say you can have my son but you can't have healing or you can have my son but you can't have this but Jesus was the ultimate price which ones am I looking at now but you keep that one and that one okay cool (laughs) I'm everywhere it's terrifying and so that's not to say, because this morning I want to talk about the sovereignty of God. A couple of weeks ago on the live stream, we were talking about the kingdom of God. And that God has a wonderful plan for your life. And sometimes that plan involves pain. Sometimes that plan involves trial. Sometimes that plan involves suffering. And, and so, but what we tend to look at is in those moments where we go, well, why am I not receiving healing? We think of what God might be withholding instead of what God might be giving. Because God is a giver. The Bible teaches us that God is the giver. He's the gift giver and the gift. And so we get this kind of idea where we go, you know, my grace is sufficient for you. But then we go, yeah, cool, my grace is sufficient for you as long as the church also does this, this, and this. Or my grace is sufficient for you as long as my God does this, this, and this. But the Bible says, no, my grace is sufficient because everything that happens in our lives is under the grace of God. Everything. And so my, my, my thought, my title this morning is The Providence of Pain. The Providence of Pain. Because I don't know about you. And, and give me some feedback here, Renter Crowd. This, this year's probably been one of the hardest years of my life. It, it's been, and I don't mean like, like it's not been hard financially. It's not been hard in other ways. Like my health's been pretty good. My mental health's been pretty good. But there's been some stuff in my life that has been really, really hard. You know, I I remember, some of you might remember, if you were at the first prayer meeting that we had at the start of 2020, you know, our theme was off the map. And we're so far off the map now, I don't even remember where the map is, right? Um, (laughs) The map is gone. (laughs) Um... But I, I had this word, um, or two words, really, at the start of the year. One came from something that, that um, Bo said. 
But the first one was this. I had this picture that God was giving us an agenda amnesty. And what I mean by that is, you know, I always remember going to Easter camps when I was younger. And Mike Dodge used to have this rule. Easter camp was a no drug and alcohol policy camp. And so, so you know, there was this rule. Don't bring drugs and alcohol to camp. But Mike would always stand up as camp dad on the, on the first night. And he'd go, look, we're going to give you a drug amnesty. Not in the sense of, like, do them all now. Like, it wasn't like it. But it was... Between now and midnight, you can bring all of your drugs or alcohol, anything you've bought to this place that is prohibited, you can bring them to this place, and we will flush them, destroy them, burn them, not smoke them, (laughs) tip them down the drain, we'll do whatever, and that'll be the end of it. We won't take your name, you won't be sent home, we won't call your parents, we won't call the police, until midnight tonight. If you get caught after midnight, having been given the opportunity to address that, you will be sent home. Your drugs will be confiscated anyway. Your parents will be called. The police will be involved. So I'm pleading with you, please do this before midnight, right? Because we want everyone to have a good time. We want everyone to have a safe time. And I felt like what God was saying at the start of this year is that he was giving us an agenda amnesty. An opportunity as Christians to bring our hidden agendas that we all have within ourselves to the foot of the cross and to lay them down and go, God, I'm going to give you this. I'm going to give you my shame. I'm going to give you my pride. I'm going to give you my sin. I'm going to give you my, my attitude. I'm going to give you my, uh, my arrogance. My, you know, We've all got agendas. We've all got things and we, we hide them really well. And I felt like God said, and if you bring those to the foot of the cross... And lay them there. That'll be the end of it. But the warning from God was, if you choose not to do this, I will expose them. But again, remembering God is not in the interest of humiliation. God is not in the interest of, pun- of, of, of in the interest of punishment. God is in the is, is in the business of restoration, mercy, and grace. So God's exposing things is a grace. It's a mercy. Going, you can put this willingly at the cross now, or I can bring it to the surface in a way that will be ugly and uncomfortable anyway. But the goal, either way, is you are going to get set free from that this year. And so, thank you. And so, like, and I was the one that received that word. I was the one that shared that word. I was the one that said, well, God, you can have this, and you can have this, and you can have this, and I'm going to hold on to this. Being the very one who gave the word, being the very one who gave the warning, held on to certain things in my life. And throughout this year, God has gone, it's time to expose that. It's time to bring that to the surface. And there have been things in my life this year, and like again, don't, for whatever reason, when the pastor talks like this, everyone goes to like a worst case scenario. Don't go to the worst case scenario. <laughs> Ask Sue, she can tell you it's way worse. It's <laughs> um, but we go to like, you know, like, and, and so these things, God brings them up. Why? Because there's a grace. And he goes, we're going to deal with this. Malachi chapter 3, verse 1 to 3. Have you got that one there, Bo? I gave them to you, yeah. It says this, Malachi chapter 3, verse 1 to 3 says, Look, I am sending my messenger, and he will prepare the way for me. Then the Lord you are seeking will suddenly come to his temple. The messenger... The the messenger of the covenant whom you look for so eagerly is surely coming, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Is that it? It's not the right verse then. 
Yes. <laughs> uh, cool. Here we go. But who will be able to endure it when he comes? Who will be able to stand and face him when he appears? For he will be, uh, it just moved. He will be like a blazing fire that refines metal. Or like a strong soap that bleaches clothes. He will sit like a refiner of silver, burning away the dross. He will purify the Levites, refining them like gold and silver, so that they may once again offer acceptable sacrifices to the Lord. And so really, the thing that happened in my life is going, these things that I didn't or couldn't or for whatever reason didn't, yeah, didn't or couldn't put at the foot of the cross at that moment, God turns up the heat. Because if you want to refine gold, you heat it up. You want to purify something, you heat it up. And all the impurities, they come to the surface. And, and, and I don't know about you, but 2020 has been a year where some of my impurities have come to the surface. And it's painful. But it's glorifying. And it's, it's painful, but it's a grace. It's painful, but it's a mercy. Because it's God going, I want you to be pure. I want you to be refined. I want you to grow. And so I'm, this thing about the providence of pain. You know, the word providence has two definitions. Number one is the protective care of God as a spiritual power. The protective care of God as a spiritual power. So sometimes the, sometimes the pain that God puts us through is actually the protective care of God. Because it's him removing something. From our life. I need to stay sitting on the stool. Um, <laughs> sit down. And, um, you know, my daughter went bushwhacking this weekend with one of, her, one of her dear wee toddler friends. And she got splinters. And she was fine as long as she didn't look at the splinters. And as long as you didn't try to pull the splinters out. Because it hurts when you pull them out. Trust me. Removing those splinters is my protective care as a father. And so we need to, and yes, it's going to hurt, but it's going to hurt a whole lot less than if we leave those impurities in your system. So that's the providence, the protective care of God as a spiritual power. Or the second one is the timely preparation for future eventualities. Bex was talking about revival this morning. Bex was talking about growth this morning. Bex was talking about, uh, you know, dry bones, revival, resurrection, um, and, you know, it, 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 you don't have to be a rocket scientist or a physicist or any kind of, you know, <laughs> to go. In order for something to be resurrected, something has to die. In order for something to be resurrected, something has to die. For our resurrection, it was the death of Jesus. For the resurrection of, of the church, for the resurrection of revival, something has to die. But as Christians, we're often afraid of death, whether, whether I'm literal or spiritual or metaphorical. You know, I was talking to someone this week who said, just because something dies doesn't mean it wasn't of God. Because he said, you know, every missionary church Paul planted doesn't exist anymore. But they were the catalyst for, and yet so often what we try to do is protect the past, protect the this, because this was planted and it was, you know, it's like we've got a bridge at the moment that we're not tearing down because it's a heritage item because the people who built it, you know, if they were here, they'd go, knock it down, it's too small. <laughs> Build a bigger bridge. And so we can get attached to these things. We can get, but the providence of God, 
The providence of pain can be the timely preparation for future eventualities. And this year has been painful in different ways. It's been uncomfortable in different ways. It's been unpleasant in different ways. But there is yet a sense that it is about the timely preparation for future eventualities. Because God wants us to rely on Him and nothing else. And you know, like, so at the start of the year, some of you might have said, I don't think I can worship unless I can gather with a hundred people. But God goes, well, I don't want that. So we're going to bring that impurity to the surface. And, we, and we're going to scrape it off, and then you'll be able to worship me wherever. Because then your life is built. I mean, you know, oh man, I don't, I don't, know, if I can, I, I don't know if I can live if my business closes down. And God goes, well, then we can't live like that. And so we're going to bring all of that to the surface. Because actually your life shouldn't be built on the economy. It should be built on the kingdom of God. It should be built on the name of Jesus. I don't know if I can live. You know, yeah, I don't know if I can live if I quit my job. I feel like, well, we're going to talk about that. Why? Because, I, I, and so it's not about going, these are universal. Everyone should quit their job or close their business. Or, or It's about going, where is the idol in your life? What are the things that we're building as a foundation? Because God actually wants to take them all away so that we are reliant only on him. And that's painful. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 11 says, He has made everything beautiful in its time. In its time. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Which is not my time. <laughs> and it's not your time. But it's for the time that it needs to be. You know, I, I'm going to butcher this word again because I haven't memorized it yet. But one of the words that, I don't know how I discovered it, but God's been really talking to me about it in the last two weeks, is the nuministic or numismatic value. Now, numismatic is a term that I'd never heard before, and there's a good chance you've never heard it before, unless you collect coins. Because the numismatic value of a coin is the value of a coin that it has as a collector's item, not as legal tender. It's the value that a coin has because of the time, the season, the rarity of what it was. It's a, it, and usually, the, the numismatic value of a coin is not in its time, but after its time. So we've got a whole bunch of coins in circulation at the moment that all have our Queen's seal on the back of them, right? Someone was telling me that when, when, the, when the Queen passes away and our new King comes in, all of our money will gradually have to be taken back out of circulation and put out with his new seal on it. At which point, all of those old coins lose a legal tender value, but they gain a numismatic value. Because their value is now, not, I can't take this in a store and buy anything, but as a collector's item. Because of its rarity, because of its history, because it's been made beautiful in its time for such a time as this, now it has value. And I feel like the... the uh, you, am I looking at the wrong place? Do I need to... <laughs> I'm just looking for guidance at the back as I go. You know, and I feel like the challenge that God has for us as a church is do we want to be a church that has high value in terms of legal tender or high value in terms of numismatic value because of whose seal is on the coin? Because of the time and the season and the place that God has put us in. And so when everybody, you know, and this is why I've been a little bit resistant this week when everybody goes, but all the other churches are meeting. All the other churches are making it work. And I go, but I feel like God's, God's caught us off the map. God hasn't called us to do what everyone else is doing, where everybody else has been. And God, I'm not saying that they're not being obedient to God. Amen. But we have to be obedient to what God wants to be because we need to become more interested with the providence of God, the timely preparation 
the timely preparation for a future eventuality. John chapter 12, verse 24 says, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat is planted in the soil and dies, it remains alone. But its death will produce many new kernels. A plentiful harvest of new lives. In other words, Jesus, and again, Ecclesiastes says, there's a time for everything, a time to live, a time to die, a time to, you know, Emma and I attended the Excel marriages course yesterday with about seven, six other couples, and it was awesome. But how many people know when you invest in your marriage, what tends to happen is it brings up the impurities of your marriage? Because that's what an investment is. It's not going, hey, let's talk about how wonderful everything is. It's like, let's talk about how it could be better. So let's bring up all the discomfort things. And then you kind of get home and go, why did we do this? Because like, now we're having a conversation. <laughs> you know? And I, mean, I don't mean like a bad conversation. It's a good conversation. But it's like, oh, I'm exposed. And, and oh, I'm transparent. And all, all these things start to happen. And we can go, no, 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 I don't want to let that happen. Because it's painful. But if we want the providence of God, the timely preparation for future eventuality, because Emma said, you know, why do relationships go through these things? Why do we go through these things almost like cyclically? And I went, because everything in life goes through a cycle. We live next door to a nursery. I don't have a single tree on my property, but I own a leaf blower. Because we live next door to a nursery. And every year, those trees, they go through a cycle. Every year, they drop all their leaves and they look as good as dead. But through that process, they, there is new life. There is new birth. So when something dies, something else comes to life. They let go of their seeds and they get in my eyes and on my car and all the pollen and all the fun stuff. And you know, like So the cycle of what happens. But so often we're protected. And yet Ecclesiastes says, God has made everything beautiful in its time. And there's a time for everything. A time to live, a time to die, a time to sow, a time to reap, a time to build up, a time to tear down, a time to open, a time to close, a time to all these sorts of things. We want to hear the season that we're in. To experience resurrection, to experience revival, something has to die. The sovereignty of God cannot be interfered with. You know, in the book of Esther, uh, you know, he says to her, if you do not step up, God will bring freedom for the Jews from someone else. Why? Because the sovereignty of God cannot be messed with. God wants to revive his nation, he will do it. But it says, but you have been chosen for such a time as this. You know, one of the stories I've told regularly here in the church is that we, we you know, I remember growing up in Blenheim and there were all these prophecies. Smith Wigglesworth had stood on the shores of Picton and said, there's a move of God that's going to start at the top of the South Island and move down. And then I lived in Invercargill for five years and some other famous guy had stood on the shores of, of, of Bluff and said, there's a move of God that's going to start at the bottom of the South Island and move up. And I used to go, sounds... It sounds like we're all, but then I just actually, amen. I can meet in the middle. <laughs> but I actually think sometimes we get onto this whole like revival thing and go, well, who's chosen for revival? Because only someone that's chosen for revival. And I go, I agree. Except the Bible says that God's eyes are scanning to and fro over the whole earth, looking for eyes and hearts that are perfectly towards him. And so I believe actually God has prophesied revival over every church. And the churches that receive it, the churches that experience it, the communities that receive it, are the churches that say, all right, purify me, refine me, take me through the pain. I want to tell you a uh, um, story. I went uh, yesterday to pick, up my, to pick up my mum from Nelson. She'd had surgery in Nelson Hospital. And some of you know the, the journey, but I'll, I'll, I'll recap for the sake of time. Um, 
in November last year, I think it was, my mum had a tooth extraction and it got infected. And she went back and said, it's infected. And they said, it's not infected. And she said, I'm pretty sure it's infected. And they said, it's not infected. And anyway, it was infected. So then there was antibiotics and it got all sort of put off. I ended up taking mum to the hospital, to A&E in January or February sometime. I had a wedding, so I had to drop her and run. It was like one of those mafia drop-offs, like, in, go, see ya. Because <laughs> um, I can't come in with you. Um, but I ended up back in with her later on. And they did some scans, they did some things, and went, oh, this, this is quite bad. So this was in February. January, somewhere around there. This is quite bad. You've got infection all the way up through here, and it's actually starting to erode the bone of your eye socket. That was in February. She had her surgery three days ago. <laughs> because they're going, well, this is quite bad, but apparently not bad enough. Because it kept getting put off, and then it kept, you know, COVID happened, and so then certain surgeries just, you know, like when you've got this thing that's kind of transitioned through throat and nose, ear, nose, and throat surgeries just kind of go out the window unless they're absolutely necessary. But anyway, so, so mum's had nine months or more of discomfort and pain and, and not being able to do it and feeling restricted and feeling stuck and all of these things. And then finally, she gets a surgery and she was telling me in the car on the way home. She said, I ended up in this room with three other women. And, and I got to know a few of them and, you know. And she said, and I was there and I've been waiting for nine months. And... Nothing had happened. The, the woman across from me needed important back surgery and she'd been waiting for 12 months. And she said, and the third woman had gone to the doctor about four days ago just for a routine checkup. The doctor said, I think we should do some more tests. And then she was told that she had stage four lung cancer. So mum had been waiting nine months. This other lady had been waiting 12 months. This other woman had been in hospital for literally, like, you know, it, it was three days, four days from diagnosis to you're in here now. Margaret Stevenson passed away of lung cancer about two weeks ago, and the, or the ongoing effects of that. And so mum's sitting here, and she happened to be, you know, they were talking and telling stories, and she said, you know, for what it's worth, I know a woman who's just died of this very thing. You know, it's not an encouraging thing, you know, it's not like, a, I know a woman who's just been healed of this very thing, you know, it's, it's I know a woman who's just died of this very thing. But she died with very minimal suffering. She died as a wonderful example. Everyone commented on the peace. Everyone commented, all these things went on. And the difference was her faith. Do you have a faith? And so then they start to unpack and they start to go through all the history and all the bad experiences of faith that this woman's had. And they're able to say to her, the, you know, the, the Jesus that you have been taught about is not the Jesus of the Bible. And so they end up sitting, and it turns out this woman who's been waiting for 12 months, she's a Christian too. And she's been put off for 12 months. She's had 12 months of discomfort. Mum's had 9 to 10 months of discomfort. Why? So that they can be in a place for someone who just four days ago got told that they're going to die so that they could share the gospel with her. And so often we begrudge our pain. So often we go, God, why is this happening? And sometimes the very things that we see as the abandonment of God are actually the positioning of God for timely preparation for future eventualities. And so when we approach this life, when we approach this year, when we approach the uncomfortable and the circumstances, the, the refining struggle of the refining that must come in order for revival, when we embrace it, when we see it as God's protective care instead of God's punishment or his torment 
or if we see it as God's protective care, his preparation, his timely preparation for future eventualities. And we go, I will go through that. I talked two weeks ago about John the Baptist. You know, I'll die for that. See, I, I was saying to someone the other day, God, God caught me. You ever had God catch you? Like you say something and, and then he, it's, it's almost like he's there and he goes, um, just, you thought about the wider implications of what you just said. Because I said to someone, I was talking and I went, you know what, 2020 has been a dumb year and I can't wait till it's over and I never want to do it again. And God was just like, sorry, when was your second daughter born? And I realized that I had cursed an entire year because of some uncomfortableness. I, I cursed what I, I cursed everything God was doing because I didn't like it. And I, I started out today by saying the best thing I've ever been called is dad. And I, I wouldn't change that for the world. And so 2020, come what may. The uncomfortable things that I've had to face in my spiritual walk and my marriage and my, all these other things, you know, let them come. Because they are the refining work, the timely preparation for the future eventualities. Because God is purifying his bride. And God invites you into providence. And sometimes that providence looks like pain. I want to finish, not always, but sometimes. And I want to finish with this verse. First Peter, I'm going to read from... I think Bo's got it in the NLT, but I want to read it from the Passion Translation this morning because I just love the way it's put. First Peter chapter 1. I'm actually going to go from verse 3, Bo, so I think you've got it from verse 5, but that's all right. It says, Celebrate with praises the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has shown us his extravagant mercy. For his fountain of mercy has given us a new life. We are reborn. There it is again. We are reborn. To experience a living, energetic hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We are reborn into a perfect inheritance that can never perish, never be defiled and never diminish. It is promised and preserved forever in the heavenly realm for you. Through our faith, the mighty power of God constantly guards us, protects us, refines us until our full salvation is ready to be revealed in the last time. He has made all things beautiful in their time. May the thought of this cause you to jump for joy, even though lately you have had to put up with the grief of many trials. But these trials only reveal the sterling core of your faith, which is far more valuable than gold that perishes. For even gold is refined by fire. Your authentic faith will result in even more praise, even more glory, and even more honor when Jesus, the anointed one, is revealed. The pain of Jesus revealed the righteousness of God to us. The pain of our refining reveals the righteousness of God to the world. And so when we embrace the providence of pain and the providence of discomfort, I believe we will see God in a more pure way. And that God will manifest himself in a more pure way in our lives than ever before.
Let me pray for you. Yeah, why don't you, why don't you use those? I don't know if we do another song. Or, I don't know what. I don't know who's watching. How long I hang around for? This sort of um, even just that one we did before about withholding nothing. But let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your perfect work, for your perfect grace, that the one who did not withhold his son is not withholding anything else from us. Lord, that you are always giving. And Lord, sometimes we try to paint a picture of a God who promises Skittles from the ground and Coca-Cola from the sky a new Maserati, whatever it may be. But Lord, actually, the best God that we, the best way that we can describe you is the one who is pure and the one who purifies. And so God, we pray this morning, come and purify our hearts. Withholding nothing from you this morning.